Imagine having a father who you trusted, dedicated your life to, and shared some of the most important years of your life's development, only to find out that he was fake the whole time. Imagine how devastated you would be if that same father told you that there was no place found for you where you had faithfully served with blood, sweat, and tears for seven years, only to have some of your deepest dreams dashed against the rocks. I'm Norman Brown, and I'm the author of the book entitled Among the Wolves. For seven years, I endured one of the toughest training periods of my life. Ironically, it wasn't until it was over that I realized what happened during that time. And that is what I felt when I discovered that I had been in a false prophet's domain. Or, in other words, I was among the wolves. Among the wolves will challenge you to see when you have encountered a false prophet, false doctrine, or just plain error. It exposes some of the most prominent cults that exist in the world today, and by the Holy Spirit, it will bring you to a place of healing and forgiveness. Among the Wolves is available on Amazon.com for the Kindle app, which may be downloaded on almost all electronic devices. My prayer is that you will find freedom from bitterness, hate, anger, and unbelief as you read this book. Get your copy today. Today on New Numa Godcast, I have with me Jim Woodford. Um, Jim Woodford is from Canada. He's a man that had a wonderful experience going to heaven. He wrote a book. He's the author of the book called Heaven, an Unexpected Journey. And to he- today I have him with me in the studio. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Norman. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So how was your day today? I know that you, you're here in Baltimore, Maryland, live on location. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to know, like, how was your, what was your visit like today? It's been wonderful. I was blessed to uh, be asked to speak at a Christian uh, children's school. Okay. And uh, <laughs> it's just a wonderful experience to be able to, uh, to tell these kids, you know, uh, how much they're loved and that heaven is real. It actually exists. And I think especially for our young people today in this era of social media, uh, where there is so much cynicism and skepticism, to have someone like myself who has survived a near-death experience, in fact, a complete death experience, uh, to stand up and profess the love of Jesus. Mm. Wow, yeah, that is amazing. Well, it's not many people that can say they came back to life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, interesting you would say that because... I actually believe, Norman, it's not that rare, and here's why. When I had this experience four years ago, and I mean, I know it's the age of the internet and all kinds of claims are made, but I was, you know, um, without brain sign for 11 hours. Mm -hmm. And our doctors, my wife who's a nurse, uh, all the attending physicians uh, were amazed Hmm. at uh, at, uh, the fact that I had been given up, and uh, but my wife and her sisters prayed that if it be the will of Jesus to send Jim back, hmm. and and uh, you know they had no way to describe my recovery. Uh, my discharge papers read spontaneous recovery. Wow! <laughs> wow, that's amazing. I know, and you know that Jesus sent me. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow. So. Um... I want to know, like, when you had this experience, what was it? What was it like 
Um, like I know, like I've heard stories about people when they leave their body, and then they talk about they go through this dark tunnel, and then all of a sudden they see a light at the end, and stuff like that. Like, is that how it happened for you, or how do you? Yeah, very, very similar. Uh, and uh, first of all, let me preface my remarks by telling your listeners that uh, you know I spent most of my life as an airline captain mm-hmm. and a businessman. Uh, I was a very pragmatic. Uh, guy, uh, very uh, inquisitive, but I had to see it in black and white to believe it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sad to say that up to four years ago, I was not a believer. Yeah. I suppose like many people, Norman, I had hoped that someone was in charge of the chaos, but I never for a moment believed that this Jewish legend of a Christ uh, was real. I believed he probably existed, but he was a rabble-rouser, and for that they killed him. Mm-hmm. I, I now realize how wrong I was, uh, and, uh, and, I, and your listeners have a, a right to be skeptical, because mm-hmm. uh, this is an amazing claim to make. Uh, but this did happen, it, it, it truly did, and, uh, and so I have uh, uh, you know, come back with such an appreciation of of what awaits us, and with a rather unique view of life now. And if I may expand on yeah, that, yeah. Uh, what I mean by that is we as mankind have gotten it backwards all these years. We have tended to think of ourselves, and we have been taught that we are human beings with a spirit or soul, mm-hmm. and that is not so. We are first and foremost spirits and souls encased in a human body for a brief period of time. Mm. And we are, this yearning that we feel in our lives, is this all there is? That's the light of God in us yearning to go back to his light. Yeah, wow. I like the way that sounded. (laughs) I've never heard anyone put it that way before. I like like the way it feels. Yeah. (laughs) So let me ask you this, because you know, I like to ask people um, about their background and stuff like that. So. What was it like for you growing up? Like, what kind of family did you grow up in? Well, I grew up in uh, northeastern Canada and in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, where it's very cold, long winters. Mm -hmm. And as I like to joke, um, summer was on a Wednesday, (laughs) (laughs) two to four, and then it was winter again. But it was my home, and I loved it. And uh, it's probably some of the friendliest people you'll ever meet uh, in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. But I grew up in a very humble circumstances, uh, in a remote area. Uh, But my my dad died when I was two years old, and uh, my mom and I, my brother, lived with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a, you know, nothing catastrophic happened to me. I was too young to remember him. I was two when he died. But I had a happy childhood, you know, loving mother, uh, wonderful grandparents, and uh, but I was raised Catholic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I I never really um, had a relationship with God, and I suppose like most young people, all I wanted to do was get out and play hockey instead yeah, of go to church. Yeah. Um, as I progressed and fell in love with aviation, because in the north especially back in those days, um, you know, many places how you had to get around was by float plane in the summer and ski plane in the winter. Hmm. And so I slowly fell in love with aviation. Wow. And uh, I, I tell people you are truly blessed if you find something to do in life 
as a vocation that you love to do. Yeah. And I loved every minute of it. I, I mean, I, I just, I would have worked for free. Yeah. But on top of loving what I did, they paid very well. Mm. And so I became a pilot. And as in any job, you start at the bottom and you work your way up. Mm. And eventually I got a jet rating and uh, got checked out on quite a few aircraft. Uh, did a stint at water bombing and eventually made my way up to corporate jets and then to the airlines and mm. uh, and uh, specialized freighting routes around the world. So as of uh, the last time I checked my logbook, um, and I'm now retired, I should point out, but uh, I've you know been in about 57 countries. Oh, wow. And so I've seen a fair amount of the world. But little did I realize that the greatest journey was yet to come. <laughs> Wow, yeah, well that's interesting. So the family that you grew up in, they weren't Christian, or were they? Well, my, they my, just... my grandmother was, uh, was Catholic, my okay. grandfather was Catholic, and they, they, were, you know, they went to Mass regularly. But I just never had that relationship mm. that people have. But they were wonderful people, mm. um, and uh, I miss them every day. Mm. And, uh, and, and I'm so grateful because my grandfather was my father figure. You know, with mm. the noise of my father, his son. But uh, anyway, um, they were instrumental in me becoming a pilot. So, what was it about? Like, okay, I know that you said you didn't know, you were hoping that there was someone, but you grew up around people who did believe in God, but you didn't seem to have that same sentiment. You know, I, I think when I look back on that, Norman, um, from the very earliest days that I began to fly, I seemed to be blessed. Uh, and not to be dramatic, but when you're flying in snowstorms and in old aircraft and, mm -hmm. or vintage World War II back in those days and so yeah. on. And uh, for your listeners, you know, I'm 70 years old, so oh, okay. I started to fly in 1967. And yeah. I, I came in right on the tail end of the bush flying. Okay. If you can imagine, uh, no cell phones, mm. no GPS. Wow. Although I like to think that now I have a God positioning yeah. system. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, this was quite a remote area, yeah. and so you know, it was dangerous flying, and I had a number of of close calls and difficult situations in remote areas, mm. and. Uh, I always put down my ability to get out of those situations to my own ability. My arrogance knew no bounds. And I think many pilots may be guilty of this. You know, when, mm -hmm. you're, when you're tasked with delivering 200 people in a narrow, thin tube of metal mm -hmm. rushing through the sky in all kinds of weather, and you're and completely dependent upon me for their safety, sitting behind me would be 200 SOBs. Mm -hmm. And I should point out to your listeners, that means souls on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I always was able to do that and always delivered my, uh, my pastures safely. And I developed Norman an arrogance. Mm -hmm. And then as I became successful in business and in the flying career, my arrogance knew no bounds. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I got to the point where I had a, an, a number of companies, a, a collection of British cars, a, a large boat, my own plane, mm -hmm. living what basically most of the world would consider the American slash Canadian dream. Mm -hmm. But you know, even with all that, I remember I would wake up in the middle of the night and think, is this all there is? 
Mm. I never seem to be satisfied. And I would interpret that as I must need a faster car or a prettier horse. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would go out and buy those things, play with them for a week, and that yearning would come back. I now know that that yearning was my light in me wanting to go back to God's light. Mm. That although I had all these supposed trappings of success, that the biggest thing that a human being can have, which is a relationship with their creator, I did not have. Mm. But I know now. Yeah. He was calling out to me. Hmm. Wow. So I was arrogant. Yeah. I'll give you an example. My nickname was Diamond Jim. Everything I touched or did turned to gold. Hmm. And I used to parachute. And I did a jump on this particular day, and my shroud tangled, the shroud tangled on the chute my emergency chute tangle in the shroud. Hmm. And I came plummeting down from six, uh, from, from just over 4,800 feet to, you know, in a fall that should have killed me. But I landed in the only huge, soft pine tree in a two-acre field. <laughs> Man, am I good. Wow. Am I good, you know? Mm-hmm. I look back now, And I realized that the hand of God was on my life. That eons ago, Mm. he had determined that I would be sent on a mission for him. And so he protected me. Mm -hmm. But me and my stupidity and my arrogance thought it was me. Mm. I now know how wrong I was. It's very emotional for me. Yeah, I can see. No matter how often I talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because I yearn for the fact that I've only known God for four years. Mm. And I feel like I wasted the first 66 years of my life. Hmm. In the sense of my relationship with Him. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely, I feel as I'm, you know, looking at you, I can feel the emotion I can see the sincerity. I can see that the Lord has definitely touched your life. And, um, you know, I've had that same type of reaction to the Spirit of God, you know, myself. So I'm very familiar with that. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things that I always wonder about with people when they have a... It seems as though the people that have some of the most dramatic experiences like that there is some really significant reason why the Lord did that for them and with them. And I believe that you obviously have started to tap into that as far as what is what is coming out of that. Um, and I'm sure that God has much more, you know, you know, even when you look at what the Word of God tells us, it says that um, He promises us a certain amount of years to live you know, and then when we look at someone like Moses, you know, um, who was walking with God and, you know, doing all the things that he did and he lived to be so much older, you know, um, even after he had seemingly wasted 80 years, but then he goes and he does the work of the Lord. He lives another 40, you know? So, I mean, it's like... Well, my wife says I'm aging backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the movie Benjamin Button? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so, you know, I mean, God definitely has uh, a way of making a person's life like that testimony that's going to blow people's mind. Like, how did that happen? You know, I died of a horrific <clears throat> disease, and I've come back with no signs of the disease in me. Um, as I mentioned a short while ago, I'm 70 years old. Norman, I feel like I'm your age. You know, that's uh, good. That's great. What are you? So 20? I'm. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I'm 45 now. Well, congratulations! You don't look it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> For those of you that can't see him, he looks 25. <laughs> so uh, thank you. Um, so I want to know, um, as far as like, um, like as far as the experience of, you know, just. Well, first of all, what was, it that, what was the disease that happened that you had that caused you to die? As a pilot, you're exposed to uh, very serious medicals every six months to retain your, your, your senior airline transport rating. Mm -hmm. And so I was, you know, given medicals by doctors every six months to make sure I was fit to fly. And I was blessed with good health all my life. Never had more than a head cold. Mm -hmm. Never took any medication, drugs, didn't drink. Uh, but uh, I woke up one day, about one morning, about six years ago, and I felt really strange. It was as though my hands and feet were becoming paralyzed. Mm -hmm. I immediately, uh, well, that was a Sunday. My wife had gone to church, but I decided to go to a, to a with one of my cars, mm -hmm. my Jaguar cars, to a race. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'll just interject for a moment. One of the true blessings of my life has been my wife, mm. and God bless her, her name is Lorraine, she's a registered nurse. But, and how I ever convinced Lorraine to marry me, I'll never know. I just knew I fell so in love with her so quickly yeah. that I would have promised anything. And, and I want to uh, ask but, you But she was a deep too. Christian, yeah. and, and so she's been an important part of this story. But anyway, uh, I woke up that morning, and uh, by Monday I was really sick, went to the doctor, and he sent me home, said, you've got the flu, sleep it off. Three or four days later, I'm more ill than ever. Now I can't keep food down, uh, becoming more paralyzed, I can't swallow, uh, kept getting sent back. And I don't really blame the doctor. The disease I was coming down with, Norman, was so rare, many doctors never see it in their uh, entire career. And so what had happened was eventually uh, I, and there's only a seven-day window to arrest that disease. Mm. And by the time I was finally diagnosed uh, by a neurologist, it was 15 days. And I had I was diagnosed with a rare disease called Guillain-Barre. Hmm. And uh, I don't know if you're. No, I've never heard of that. Before. Well, for the benefit of your listeners, let me yeah. just give you a quick idea, of, because what it does, it destroys the myelin sheath on your brainstem. Mm. And it's the same as if you took an electrical cord and stripped the rubber insulation from it. Mm. And all the signals from the destroyed myelin sheath on your brainstem goes through your body as pain and paralysis. Look, uh, I, you know, and I'm not talking inconvenient pain or nuisance pain. I'm talking about screaming out in the middle of the night kind of pain. Mm. I actually would keep a leather strap by my side to bite on to keep from frightening people mm. when I screamed. And so by the time they discovered it, um, it was too late for treatment, which is uh, typically uh, plasmapheresis and immunoglobulin treatments. Mm. Uh, so I went through the whole disease. But miraculously, uh, many times it's fatal, or if it's a milder case, you're left in a wheelchair, or you're on crutches, or you have heavy knee braces. 
Norman, I mean, you're looking at me. I walked in here. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm in great health. I mm -hmm. take nothing. I'm 70 years old, a uh, few vitamins. Um, but what had happened was um, this Guillain-Barre just knocked me down. But, you know, here's the scope of the arrogance that I talked about a few minutes ago. Even laying in bed in the hospital, unable to even clothe or care for myself, um, never once did I cry out to God. Never once did I say, look, if you exist, would you help me? In my arrogance, I had overcome everything successfully in my life, and to me, this was just one more thing for me to overcome. But I was wrong. I was wrong. Hmm. And so, uh, but I, uh, I, I actually recovered enough to go home, but I was left with horrific pain, all kinds of issues, difficulty walking, speaking, swallowing. And my life went from someone who, <clears throat> who flew jets, raced cars, uh, jumped horses, uh, water skied, did all the fun things in life, to someone that couldn't even dress himself. That's a pretty humiliating thing, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. for someone as independent as I was. But again, in my arrogance, I thought I'd overcome it. But it eventually got to me. So when the actual death occurred, how did that happen? Well, I, I, I got home from the hospital and I struggled with that, um, with that illness, with the after effects of it, uh, for almost two years. And every week the pain was getting worse. The nerve deterioration, the, the uh, interruption of all the signals from my brain uh, was getting worse. And I try, when I got well enough to travel, I went to a number of very famous hospitals looking for a cure. There is no cure for Guillain-Barre. And for your listeners, that's named after the two French doctors who first isolated the disease in Paris in the 1940s, hmm. Dr. Guillain and Dr. Barre. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I was, but I, I, I was introduced to a pain specialist who for the first time introduced me to pain medication. Now, it's important your listeners know this. This isn't another one of these drug-induced hallucinations. Yeah, it's not definitely. the way it happened. Yeah. Uh, but they did give me some relief. But what happened was I, was I had a toxic reaction to the medication. And I died in my truck. Hmm. I died in my truck. And uh, You were driving? No. I, had, uh, I was very careful not to drive, but I had some ground that I was trying to sell. It was in the country, and I, I got in my truck that day and, and, uh, and went to this field late in the afternoon uh, to look at some uh, surveying that had been done because I was in the process of selling that property. And it was uh, the evening. The sun was setting. It was in April of 2014. And uh, when I parked the truck, I didn't intentionally do this, but I was facing the setting sun. And that's where it started to occur, hmm. where I died. So how did anybody even find you? Well, um, what happened was, um, as my lungs started to seize, and I mean, you know when you're dying, I knew that something catastrophic had happened, hmm. that my body was finally giving up. And I remember Norman uh, looking at that setting sun 
and it was as though my feet and hands were on fire. And it was coming inboard toward my chest and my lungs started to seize. And I remember trying to reach up. It was as though the cab of the truck was filling with water and I was mm. gasping for breath. You know, I tell people, dying is easy. Living is hard. Mm. But in that last nanosecond of life, as I looked out at the setting sun, I raised my hand and I remember how violently it was shaking. And remember that I was a guy who had never prayed. And suddenly as I watched, as I felt the last of, as I felt my heart stop, and as I looked out at that setting sun, from somewhere deep inside of me, Norman, a place that I didn't even know existed, something inside of me cried out. And I believe there are six words and the prayers of my family that allow me to be here with you on your program today. And so those first three words welled up from within me. And with a shaking hand, I cried out, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Not out of fear. I'd faced death a couple of times as a pilot, never flinched. But Norman, I had this overwhelming feeling that I had never honored the Creator for the life that He had given me. I had become so consumed with the uh, accumulation of wealth and status and, and pridefulness. And I just wanted to tell him that I was sorry and to ask his forgiveness. And the instant I said that, I fell forward. I remember smacking my head on the steering wheel very hard and I passed out. I'm not sure at that point how long, how many minutes I was gone. But I remember sitting back up and I knew time had passed because now the sun was right on the horizon about to set. And as I focused my eyes and came conscious, I was filled with this sudden awareness that the pain that had plagued me, the paralysis that had been part of my life for the previous years was gone. I had no pain. Not only that, I felt like I was 20 years old again. It was as though, Norman, I had taken off a heavy, wet overcoat and all the pain went with it. And I felt so energized and so alive and able to move. I slid out of my truck. I walk about 15 feet away. It's spring. It's April. I can see, as I said, the setting sun. I can hear the birds in the trees, smell the, the grass growing. Um, and I'm overwhelmed because finally, somehow, the pain is gone. Mm -hmm. So... You said there was 11 hours that um, that you were gone or whatever, something yeah, like that, yes. right? Um, that wasn't during that time? Well, here's, here, here's the progression. Okay. And, and, and I'm overwhelmed because I feel so healthy and I like the way I used to be. And, uh, but I, I looked down at my feet and for some reason it was as though I could see through my shoes into the ground beneath. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, that's just the after effect of the medication. And, uh, but
But then I turn and I look back on my truck, toward my truck. And I'm filled with rage and indignation because someone is sitting in my truck. Not mm. only that, he's sleeping on the steering wheel. Mm. And I turn in my rage and indignation to stride over there and give him a good walloping for mm. getting into my truck without my permission. Mm -hmm. Norman, have you ever had a dream where you've tried to run yeah. and you someone's after you and you yeah. can't get your feet to move? Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, I felt so well and yet I couldn't get my feet to move in the direction of the truck, except for inches at a time. And I struggle and struggle and finally I got close enough and I look at the truck and I can't begin to tell you the momentary feeling of absolute terror and dread as I focused on the truck and realized the body on the sleep, uh, sleep, what I thought was sleeping on the steering wheel is not someone else. It is my body. And I know it's me because the face is turned toward me on the wheel and there's blood gushing from my mouth. Mm. And in that momentous, incredible uh, realization a panic set into me, but old habits die hard. And immediately I was trying to fix this. And I thought something catastrophic has happened, but I can fix this. If I can just get over to that truck and get back in my body, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I can fix this. This was one thing, Norman, I couldn't fix. And the more I struggled to get to my body, the more difficult it became. And suddenly I became aware of something. I began to rise. I began to rise. Now, being a pilot, I'm a good judge of altitude. And I'm first 100 feet, then 200 feet. I'm drifting slowly backwards. I'm above my truck. I can actually look down and see my toolbox in the bed of the truck. I can look through the rear window of the truck and see my body slumped over the wheel. And I'm rising. And when I get Norman to about 1,200 feet, I tilted my head back and I looked up and there it was. This beautiful circle of gold appeared in the sky, about 60 feet in diameter. I'm very technical. Mm -hmm. The center filled with gold and then that gold swung inward like a golden door. Mm -hmm. And the instant that happened, Norman, it was as though I was back flying one of the jetliners and I'd rammed all the engines to, to take mm. off mode because I went at tremendous speed into this tunnel of light. And I'm sure many of your listeners have heard this tunnel of light and you referred to it earlier in the broadcast. And that's exactly what I experienced, this beautifully lit golden tunnel of light. And uh, I was just, I mean, I'd like to tell you I was as calm as a cucumber because I never got ruffled as a pilot, but I was terrified and uh, tremendous speed. And someone said to me one night, was it the speed of light? And I said, I think it was the speed of God's light. <laughs> he wanted me. Yeah. I enter into this tunnel of light and my body suspended backwards about 45 degrees. Now typically, if you're going fast in a convertible or you've got the window down in your car or truck and you're going fast, you feel the wind, you hear the air mm -hmm. rushing by. There was none of that. Absolute silence, but tremendous speed. Mm -hmm. 
I was speaking one night, uh, actually here in Baltimore, and uh, and uh, I was describing the speed with which I went into this tunnel of light, because it's a difficult imagery to yeah. give to people. And this young man on the front seat said, "Sounds like to me." It was Star Trek, and they went to warp speed, and the light came on. That's just, you know, how the yeah, stars all stream by? Yeah. That's the speed that I was going at. Yeah. And so I thanked them for that. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but it's so strange to be going that fast with no buffeting, no turbulence, yeah. you know, uh, no sound of rushing air. And uh, sometimes I think it felt like forever, other times it, felt, it feels like seconds. But there was a bright light at the end of the tunnel, and I slowly decelerate and come upright. And I'm facing what I still don't know whether to call an exit or an entrance. Hmm. But it's covered in mist, but it's a doorway. And I'm, I can sense that the tunnel behind me has closed, so I have no recourse but to step forward into the unknown. Hmm. And as you would stepping into a, a dark room or someplace you can't see, I put one foot, my right foot forward, and I felt and I could feel ground underneath me. And then I brought the other foot out. I'm surrounded by mist, but I look down, and then the mist, Norman, starts to, to dissipate. And I look down, and I cannot believe it. I'm standing on the most incredibly beautiful green grass you could ever imagine. I tell people now that I now know, Norman, where the saying comes from, the grass is always greener on the other side. Yeah. They're talking about heaven. <laughs> yeah. But not just ordinary grass. Yeah. If you can imagine every blade of grass perfectly lit, mm. a light. And I was fascinated because as I slowly moved each foot, light rippled out from each footstep that I took. <laughs> and then, Norman, I look up. And... It's as though there's a split image, a line drawn right in front of my vision. And to the right of my vision, there is this most incredibly beautiful meadow, like you'd see on any you know, beautiful farm here in mm. Maryland or Pennsylvania or anywhere in America or Canada, studded with all kinds of beautiful flowers and colors that I'd never seen before. I mm. can't tell you what they were like because we don't have a name for it. Mm. on earth but colors that are different than here uh, flowers that were incredible in their beauty and their fragrance and there was a mist laying over everything that climbed up the trees and I could see a bright light behind it it wasn't the sun it was a different light but I was just stunned by the beauty of this to the right mm -hmm. But to the other side of this dividing line, it was so different, Norman. That beautiful green grass went from green to brown to scorched to black, and then dropped off in a ter terrific crevasse, a deep canyon. I've always been inquisitive, and the contrast was so startling that I moved over and looked down in this pit. And when I did, I, I saw as though you were looking at a distant campfire, a reddish glow at the bottom of this canyon. It was quite deep. And as I'm looking, 
I began to hear something strange. And it was as though two massive iron doors or steel doors were being opened on hinges that were protesting, moving. They were squealing and screeching as though two, these two massive doors were opening. And as I looked, I saw these doors open and the light became brighter, this reddish fire. And all of a sudden I became aware of something shuffling out through that door. And it was massive, Norman, in its size. It was huge, even though it was at a distance down in this pit. And I, I watched in fascination and horror uh, as this thing sh shuffled out. And it, it walked upright, but it was massive in its size. And at first I thought it was surrounded by fog or smoke, but it was something more substantial than mm -hmm. fog or smoke. I still don't quite know how to describe it, but it seemed to be looking around and then suddenly it turned and looked up at me. Hmm. Norman, I do not have the ability to describe to you what I saw. Hollywood could not reproduce something this horrific because a face looked up at me on that massive body with such hatred, with such venom, with such evil, not just for me, but I sensed for all of mankind. And the look that it gave me just turned my blood cold. Hmm. And do you want me to continue uh, on, on this? Well, I'm, yeah, I would like to hear a little bit more and then I want yeah, to ask you something. Sure. Well, just let me give your visitors a sense and I'll try to be as concise as I can. And, and this thing looked up at me. And as I said, the look of hatred on its face. And then to my absolute terror, it suddenly reached out and started to climb up this black rock toward me. And it was picking up speed. Mm. And as I said, there was a stench that came out of that pit, a smell of, of death and decay, of, of despair, if, if despair had an odor. Mm. Um, but a, a, a smell of death and decay and of things that should not see the light of day. And I remember it was such an overwhelming stench that I began to retch. And, but this thing was coming up very rapidly and picking up speed and it was massive in its size, like it towered, it, it was probably, you know, 40, 50 feet high. And it came up and I, then I began to hear something as it came closer, because I was frozen in my tracks, although I wanted to flee. And I heard screaming, Norman, screaming coming from within its body, not from its mouth, but within its body. Hmm. It was as though it had consumed or trapped human beings or mm. souls within it, and they were screaming to be rescued. Wow. But the most horrific thing was suddenly I heard my voice being called. My, my, my name being called mm. with its voice. My name, Norman. This creature knew me. Hmm. And, and if a snake could speak, if a serpent had a voice, that's what it sounded like. It had a hissing quality to it. And along with the screaming from its body, I began to hear it speak. And what it said to me was, Jim, Jim, this is your time with us. 
we are here for you. This is your destiny. And I just hurled myself back from the pit wow. hearing that. Hmm. And suddenly it reared up over that pit, snarling. The face on it is horrendous. It was like a combination of between a human and a hyena. Hmm. And it was so huge. I remember all of it like it happened five seconds ago. But I remember especially the sounds of the saliva dripping off its fangs. Hmm. You know, when people say to me, oh, you're sensationalizing, Jim, you shouldn't tell people this. Listen, Norman, people need to know mm -hmm. there's a consequence to not loving God. Yeah. Sorry to pound the table. Oh, yeah. But I am adamant about this. And mm -hmm. I, all I'm trying to do, I'm not in this to sell a book and make money. As a matter of fact, the proceeds from this book go to help the poor. Mm -hmm. It goes to the organization that I'm associated with called Partnership for Revival. This is not about selling a book or trying to get a movie. This is about telling people, this is what awaits you if you do not consecrate your life to God. Mm -hmm. And I want no one to ever go through what I went through again. That's why I do this mission. And the cynical and the skeptical all think there's an ulterior motive. There isn't. Mm -hmm. I am as honest as I can be about this. And, and so with this thing snarling and saliva dripping from its jaws, I scrambled backwards and turned my back to it to keep my sanity. And when I did, it reached out with its clawed hand and raked its claws down my back. Mm. And that was the moment when I truly lost it. Remember I said 15 minutes ago, Norman, there are six words. The first three I cried out yeah. were, God forgive me. Mm -hmm. I turned to that bright, brilliant light and I cried out from a place that I didn't even know, as I said, existed within my soul. And I cried out, God, help me, help me. Me, who should expect nothing from someone who I had never given any honor to. But Norman, like that, three brilliant stars appeared in that mist, like morning stars, but coming rapidly toward me. And to keep my sanity, I concentrated on, on that as this thing snarled and spoke my name behind my back. I could feel its hot breath on me. I could smell the stench and hear the saliva dripping on the ground. And to keep my sanity, I concentrated on these points of light. And those points of light began to take form. And suddenly I realized, and I remember thinking, are these angels? And yes, they were. Norman. God had heard the cry of a man who had never honored him in his entire life and sent a rescue party to save me. Three of the most incredible beings you can imagine. Wow. So, that's a lot. Um, you know, I do, I would like to know, um, because I've never seen angels myself. I've seen, I've heard them described sometimes in the Bible and you know it would say that there was the man Gabriel or whatever but it was an angel or whatever so uh, as far as these beings these angels that came to your rescue um, could you briefly describe how they looked uh, look it is uh, engraved on my memory if you can imagine 
these miraculous beings of light. And they're big, Norman. The first one was about 10 feet tall. The second one was about 13 feet tall. And coming behind was one about 15 feet tall. Now you think about this. That would be about twice the height of this room we're in. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was built to do battle. He was, he carried a sword of light. Uh, and I know that kind of sounds kind of stir warish, war well, but that's what he had in a scabbard. And he was, he had armor on, including a gorget around his neck, which is to prevent sword cuts at the neck. And uh, they came with a fierce determination. And as they came into land in front of me, this brilliant light preceded them. And that light flowed over me. And I turned to watch it go over me and strike that demon. Norman, when, it's, when that light struck that demon, it shrieked and screamed in agony and scrambled backwards down that hole like a rat running for cover. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, darkness and evil cannot exist in the light of God. Mm -hmm. And if you have the light of God's light in you all your life, you will be defended against the darkness. Mm -hmm. This isn't uh, some false promise, this is a fact. And even if you have to go through a difficult time, God's light is with you and he will bring you out the other side. And so here I am, just stunned at these three beautiful angels. So to answer your question directly, if you can imagine a being very tall, garbed in a luminous gown, it was as though they had discovered how to weave thread from sunlight. <laughs> wow. And yet, as they moved toward me, their robes moved, and it was like watching moonlight on the waves of a lake at night. It wavered back and forth. Stunningly beautiful. And they moved with such grace. I didn't see their feet. They kind of floated toward me. I noticed that behind them trailed this mist as they came toward me. Now, they have the capability to be whatever they need to be for the duty they're doing. So they can appear as a man or a woman or a child. Mm -hmm. But I saw them in their pure form. Uh, as they are seen in heaven. And so they come toward me, and I'm just in awe. I found out later that the first one that came up to me, the 10-foot one, had been my guardian all my life. Wow. That poor angel had pulled one awful tour of duty. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope he's proud of me now. <laughs> yeah. But he came right up to me, and as stunning as there, and if you can imagine this beautiful face lit from within with a light, uh, I thought at first that their hair was blonde, but it wasn't. What I was seeing was when their wings are folded, there's a radiance that comes off their wingtips, mm -hmm. and it creates this golden haze above their silver hair. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is where we get the idea of a halo. halo it's yeah. not a halo. It's a golden haze mm -hmm. that refracts off their, off their silver hair. Mm -hmm. and so their hair is silver, you're saying? Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and yeah, not white, silver. Yeah. And as they, as, as they came toward me, though, the most striking feature, Norman, that I will never forget were their eyes. Their eyes, Norman. Not blue, not green, not gray, but the most incredible shade of violet. Hmm. Violet eyes that you could ever imagine. Wow. And I discovered after I was with them a, a while, angels never blink. They yeah. look at you with that loving smile. Mm -hmm. Now you think about it on earth, if someone looks at you like this and don't blink, doesn't blink, it's not good news usually. But when an angel of God looks at you with those violet, unblinking eyes, it's this feeling of, we love you, we have been sent to protect you, and you are safe, mm -hmm. and you are loved. 
and I'm just stunned looking up into these eyes. And, and he comes right up to me. And I say he, but let me explain something. I, to me, they, they were neither male nor female. I, I like to think a combination of the both of us, maybe the strength of a man and the gentleness and love of a woman. Mm -hmm. um, but he came right up to me and suddenly I'm aware he's putting his arm around my shoulder and he gives me a, a hug. Mm. And then suddenly this massive wing comes out around his arm and pulls me in even tighter. And there I am snuggled up to an angel. <laughs> oh my Lord. Uh, you know, Norman, there's nothing to describe it. Uh, <laughs> if you put your finger in a light socket, Mm -hmm. but it felt good, yeah. that's what it was like. <laughs> a vibration went right through me, yeah. you know? Um, and, and I was just so, felt so safe and loved. And as I gazed up into his violet eyes, and again I say his only because I don't want to yeah, say it. Yeah. Um, I heard his voice for the first time. And angel, their lips don't move, but you realize they're about to speak by, mm -hmm. from their eyes. and. Uh, I don't call it telepathy, I call it thought transference. Mm -hmm. It was as though he had come into my mind, not controlling it, yeah, but yeah. being there. And, uh, and I, I felt this wonderful knowledge flow through me from him. And he looked down at me, smiled, and then I heard his voice. And he mm -hmm. said to me, fear not, James, for we are your constant friends. <laughs> And now if you get an email or any kind of a communication from me or a letter, I always sign it, Jim, you're a constant friend. I like that. <laughs> they so, truly are. Yeah. And, and it's hard for us as, as humanity to think that each one of us has this beautiful protector around us, but we do. But the more we distance ourselves from the Word of God, the more distant they are from us. And they're sad about it. I mean, we are their reason for existing. They are our protectors, the messengers of God. And uh, I, I felt so overwhelmed. I remember reaching my hand out when he said that and putting my hand on his arm. And then I felt, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have done that. So I pulled my hand back quickly. And when I did, the light of the angel's body clung to my hand, Norman, until wow. I got it about back about 10 feet. 10 inches, and then it let go and went right back into the angel's body. Wow. And I love telling people in church, the love of God is sticky. <laughs> it wants to cling to you. Yeah, I like that. So um, there's a couple of things I wanted to ask about that might seem like I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. No, but, feel um, free. But I do want to ask briefly, there's, okay, I have a couple, these are a couple of questions I want to ask. I want to ask about your wife. I want to ask about your, um, your uh, I guess, I'm not sure. Did you see Jesus while you were in heaven? Yes. Okay, so I want to ask you briefly about that as well. Mm -hmm. And I also want to ask about, like, as far as what you're doing with um, flying, because right now we have about, um, we have 10 minutes. Okay. Okay, so I guess I'll say um, brief, a brief, you know, answer to the question, um, your wife, I know you said she had a lot to do with this, and obviously you said she was a Christian and yeah. all that. Um, how did you live so many years with a Christian woman and then finally get to this point? I mean, she I know she had been praying for you the whole time, I'm sure of that. 
Um, but I guess, how did you live that long with a Christian woman and still not, I don't know, it didn't <laughs> click with you? Well, I, I really, the best answer for you would be to ask her. Okay. But, but not to dodge your question. Yeah. Look, I, I, I just... I just feel that God put her in my life. Yeah. But uh, when I was declared dead, Lorraine felt terribly guilty because unknown to me, she had prayed for years and years that God would break Jim to remake him. Mm. That was her prayer. Okay. And then suddenly I was found dead. And uh, and so, you know, God bless her. She, uh, I must have been her mission, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and she's a wonderful person, and we've always been deeply in love. I fell head over heels in love with her, um, and I was so good with to her. But I I think I may have muttered something about trying to become a Christian, but I never did follow yeah. up on it, you know. Yeah. And I that was probably the only thing I ever disappointed her on. But she prayed uh, for many many years that God would break him to remake him. Well, it make it happen then. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you're praying yeah. for. I kind of wish, though, Norman, she'd give me a heads up. Maybe I could have worked something out. <laughs> Not quite so dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to ask because it, it's very important to me, and I feel like a lot of people want to know this. And I say this from the perspective of I know what the Bible gives us as a description it says of the son of man yeah. or son of God. However, I think it says son of God though. Um, in book of Revelation, it talks about how um, Jesus looked. Um, and I always wonder like when people are describing him and they say that this is what he looks like or whatever, sometimes I'm a little leery of some people's description. But I wanna know when you saw Jesus what did he look like to you? What did, what would you? How would you describe? Yeah, and, and uh, I apologize. I tend to chronic tr chronologically follow my experience. But let me, you know, there was many things that I was shown. But let me skip ahead to the moment when I first saw Jesus, and how it occurred. And I realize we're on a short timeline, but when it occurred was when uh, I saw the tall guardian speaking with. Uh, uh, this other figure that I had not seen before. And as beautiful as the angels were, this figure was magnificent. And there was like a golden light that flowed out of him as though he was a fountain. It came up and welled out, came down all sides of him. It behaved like slow moving water, but it was light, Norman. And that light slowly made its way down this little slope about 30 feet away to me. And I noticed when the light hit the flowers in heaven, even though they were already beautiful and in bloom, when that golden light flowed over it, they bloomed even more beautiful. Mm. And it came down and pooled around my legs. And suddenly I was filled with this awareness that this figure that I didn't realize who it was was none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Someone that I thought was just some old Jewish legend. Mm. And I'm actually looking at him. But if you can imagine this tall, elegant, slim figure uh, that possessed an aura of gentleness and strength at the same time, which is difficult to imagine, but that's exactly what it was. Um, very uh, obviously Jewish looking, um, that's his, uh, his uh, genetic makeup, but elegant. You know, I, I want you to stop there real quick. And the reason why I say it is because it is important that people know that he looks Jewish. Yeah. And the reason why it's important is because most people don't realize that it says Jesus is in heaven 
but he went up as flesh and bone, just like he was when he was on the earth. And when going up into heaven, that was just him, you know, transferring from earth to another location. But it wasn't that he changed form, so to speak, in the sense of what he looks like. So... His hair was probably a little lighter than you would think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I had a Jewish rabbi tell me that uh, many people in the tribe of Judah had red or lighter colored hair. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of them even had blue eyes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's typically what we don't associate with the Jewish race. But but very, very handsome. A face of strength and, as I said, gentleness at the same time. But the most amazing thing were his eyes. Those eyes that, uh, when I locked eyes with him, uh, I was lost in them. It was like I had stepped into eternity. And in those eyes, Norman, I saw sadness for the way I had lived my life. I saw sadness for the way mankind has ignored his, fa- his, his father's teachings. But I also saw unbelievable love for me mm. and forgiveness for all that I had done or not done. And it was at that moment that I truly understand the meaning of being born again. That was the moment for me when I dedicated whatever was left of me to him and to his purpose. And, uh, and you know, he... He was just magnificent. Did he? Um, did did the angels that you had encountered? Did they have any? Uh, I guess resemblance to him, or did he have a different look? No, he he had a different look, completely. But they, in his presence, they all bowed and went to one knee. Were you? Um, do you feel like? You were aware of, like, let's say, physical characteristics of him as much as you would notice if he was in physical form like a human? Or do you think that it was more like you were seeing light and then you might see... Well, there was a light and a radiance about him. There was this golden light that flowed out of him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know whether to call it grace or a glory cloud or, Mm -hmm. you know, terms that I had never thought about. But there was a light that came from him and a feeling of absolute purity and love. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what your listeners must understand is he is omniscient. Um, all of, of you who believe in him will have this experience of greeting him face to face. He can be everywhere at once. And yet I had this amazing feeling, Norman, as I looked into those eyes. For one brief second, I felt as though The bond was so close between us that I felt as though I was the only one he had ever created. Mm. I knew better. My intellect told me he has created billions, but the connection is that personal. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, he could appear to 12,000 people, 50,000, a million people at once, and it's as personal as though there was only one of him. And he has that incredible ability to be everywhere at once. He's God, Mm -hmm. God the Son. Yeah. And uh, and so I was just overwhelmed by the depth of his care for me, of his love for me, of his genuine concern for me, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he spoke to me. He didn't say much, but what he said spoke volumes. Yeah. 
and um, that's the message that I, I tried to get across to people. What was, what was it that he spoke to you? It was at the moment where I tried to get closer to him. That light is magnetic. You just can't get enough of it. You want to get as close to him as possible. But he held his hand up as I tried to crawl up that slope. I was on my hands and knees and I was crying. And he held his hand up in a definite command to stop. And when he raised his right hand, the sleeve of his cloak fell back and there in the wrist I saw the remains of the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And the moment I saw that, Norman, I felt as though I had held the hammer and driven the nails. It was that personal a moment. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I still tried to go forward. I had to get close to him, but he raised his hand even higher, and now it was clear I was to come no closer. And then he smiled at me, and then I realized he was about to speak. Now, the angels spoke to me with thought transference, mm -hmm. but with Jesus, it was just as though you and I were having this conversation mm -hmm. here in, in the broadcast facility today. Um, and, and he smiled at me, and this is what he said to me. He said, James, my son, this is not yet your time. Go back and tell your brothers and sisters of the wonders we have shown you. <laughs> and then his hand came down and crossed over his left. And I was stunned for two reasons. I was stunned because he had spoken to me. He knew my name. He called me his son. But I was, I was also stunned that I was being refused entrance. I had to go back. And Norman, I, I hate to admit this, but I, I began to beg, to plead, to grovel. To, to please let me stay, Jesus, let me stay. Please, I beg you. This is what I've yearned for all my life. I beg you, let me stay. Please don't send me back. This is where I belong, just to be near you. Let me stay. And then I said something really stupid. I said, I won't be any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds pathetic. Yeah, I'm no, saying to the I, Son of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was desperate, yeah. you know? And having glimpsed paradise, felt paradise, s smelled the flowers, heard the flowers sing to me, saw the angels bow to me, I couldn't leave it. But this, he, he had decreed, this was not yet your time. And suddenly two angels are beside me, they lift me up and turn me around, and uh, I struggled, I really struggled. But these are 13 foot tall angels. I couldn't yeah. struggle much. But I did manage to reef around and look back to plead with Jesus one more time. And Jesus had gone. But Norman standing exactly in the place where Jesus had stood was the 15 foot tall warrior angel. Now you think about this. 15 feet tall. It's twice the height of this ceiling. How tall was Jesus, by the way? Well, what's interesting what? is as tall as the... Uh, I would say that in normal life he was probably 6'2", 6'3", mm -hmm. very tall, very slim. But whenever he was in the presence of the angels, he seemed larger than them. Hmm. Wow. You know? Yeah. And not that size yeah, matters yeah. in heaven, but he seemed to, his presence was magnificent. You know? Wow. And so suddenly I'm back in the tunnel. Uh, mm. And uh, And you're back in your body, and basically. I, you know, I came back onto the gurney uh, mm. 
and uh, you know, after 11 hours, no brain sign, no heartbeat. No, they had my wife had asked them to put me on a respirator yeah. because my children were flying home to say goodbye to me, mm -hmm. and then they were to pull the plug. But I was brain dead, mm -hmm. and as you know, uh, brain heartbeat's no longer the sign of life. Uh, I was being kept alive mechanically. Yeah. And so they were to come in, kiss me goodbye, and then pull the plug as a family. And uh, suddenly I'm back. But very quickly, if I can, mm -hmm. and then we can, I can answer some questions for you. So, the, you know, it scared the daylights out of the nurses, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. And, uh, but they ran out, got my wife, who was in the quiet room, on the phone with the funeral home. And she comes rushing in. They said, Ms. Woodford, come quick. Jim's alive. He's, mm -hmm. he's back. And she jumps up on the bed and she's holding me. Now I've got these breathing mm -hmm. tubes and wires all over me mm -hmm. and my eyes are as big as saucers. <laughs> and uh, she's hugging me and crying and crying. And finally they pull the, the thing out because I was trying to speak. Mm -hmm. And Norman, of all the things I could have said to my wife, <laughs> here's what I said. Lorraine, Lorraine, I saw Jesus and Jesus has horses. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. Wow. So, you know, I'm going to definitely want to do a part two interview with you because there's I'd more questions to. that yeah. I want to ask yeah. and everything. But and by the way, if your listeners want to see a visual representation of the story, if they go on YouTube and Google up Sid Roth slash Jim Woodford, W-O-O-D-F-O-R-D, it'll come right up. Okay. I was on Sid show in June of last year. Okay. All right. Well, you heard it here. Um, the last question, well, I have two more questions. The one question is, um, I wanted you to tell people how they can get in touch with you and follow you if you're on like social media and stuff like sure. that. Um, but I want to ask you this question before that. Um, what was it that made the angels bow their knee to you? Like what, why, why were they bowing to you? That's the amazing revelation. You know, we tend to think of, of these miraculous beings created by God to do his work. And that's exactly what they are. But we are in awe of them. The truth of the matter is, Norman, they are in awe of us. <laughs> Why? Mm -hmm. They look at us and say they see the light of their master in you and me and your listeners. Mm -hmm. You see, God created us in his image. He created the mm -hmm. angels to serve him. But he created us in his image. And people tend to think by that it means a visual image. Not so. We are in the image of God's light. And, and so they see that light in us. And they bow to us. They are in awe of us. That we would have the light of their master within us. And that's why I say to people, no matter how beaten down, how difficult your life is, the light of God is in you. But it's up to you. God gave you free will. It's up to you. You can either... Help make that light shine by being part of a church or just being kind to people, just being a better person, being what Jesus was, who spent his time among the poor, the sick, the lame, the hungry. And we can all be better people. Mm -hmm. As good as we are, we can be better. Yeah. So uh, one last thing, uh, can you tell them how they can, you know, maybe follow you? I don't know if you're on social media now, yes, but absolutely. how they can follow yeah. you on social media, contact you, bookings, all that. Absolutely. Well, first of all, as you mentioned, my book's available on Amazon and in many Christian bookstores. And the name is Heaven, An Unexpected Journey, One Man's Experience with Heaven, Angels, and the Afterlife. And I want to reiterate once again that the funds from this book go to help... Uh, 
the poor. Mm -hmm. um, we have some expenses, but the, the bulk of it goes to help the poor. But you can find me on Facebook and just Google up Jim Woodford author on Facebook and all the information is there, okay. including the website and the phone numbers. So uh, I am so grateful, Norman. Uh, I know we I'm met a few glad. months ago, yeah. and we agreed then I would be on your program, and I'm so happy to be here today, and I'd be delighted to do uh, a second version. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. I, I'm so glad you came today. This is like, this is one of my uh, most memorable um, interviews that I've had. Well, well thank you. Yeah. And I have six journals of memories of heaven, mm. uh, far more than is in this book, because mm. we wanted to make the book affordable for yeah. people to pass on. Yeah. And I'm so happy to tell you very quickly that many churches are now using this in their in their uh, in their uh, schools, mm -hmm. and and uh, and many uh, pastors use it in hospice for those that are in the latter part of life. Well, that sounds great. Um, I just want to say uh, thank you for being on the show with me today. I, I, I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. And um, definitely want to get you back for another interview. I'm sure the listeners would love to hear more, especially about what you experienced when you were in heaven. Um, and um, Yeah, because so, I'd like to talk about the, the buildings. Uh, yeah. What I saw. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, we want to get into that. The halls of healing. Too bad we didn't have enough time to do that today. <laughs> but um, so I... I want to thank the listeners for listening. Again, this is a new NUMA Godcast. We are, um, this is a new uh, series, you could say, that we're doing on the World Life Radio Network. Thank you for listening today. Of course, this is your host, Norman Brown. And um, you can follow me on Instagram, Norm the Professor. You can also follow uh, Word Life Radio on Instagram and Twitter and all those other places. Like us on Facebook. Um, if you if anybody who you know just let them know about what we're doing and how we're building the kingdom of god here thank you again for listening